When uh, I used to have to do a lot of travel in uh, my former career, um, I uh, was on a trip one time to Poland. And uh, for whatever reason, I can't remember what it was, there was some sort of diplomatic incident that had happened between the UK and Poland, which meant British Airways weren't allowed to fly there. And the company that I worked for at the time, we had a deal with British Airways, who so we were supposed to fly British Airways wherever we went when it was at all possible. And uh, something had been resolved in all of this, and the flight I took to go to Poland, where I was uh, meeting with a client and teaching a training course for a week, um, was the first flight British Airways had done uh, since the whole thing had been fixed. So I got on this flight and clearly logistics were not all that they should be on this first flight from Heathrow to Warsaw because for a number of us on that flight our luggage got lost and never showed up. And uh, so I had to teach this training. I had to arrive on Monday morning to all these clients who were paying a lot of money for this and deliver this training course dressed in the jeans and t-shirt I had been wearing on the Sunday when I had flown out to Warsaw. And then every evening, I had to go back to my room, wash my t-shirt and other important garments, should we just put it like that, like underwear and stuff, just in case you won't get in the tenuous link there. I had to wash that in the basin, in my room, and then leave them on the radiator to dry so the next morning I could re reappear. Uh, all the clients, everybody on this course, they're all dressed very smartly, and I'm turning up every week, and it's increasingly, every day, in this increasingly wrinkled t-shirt. And then, this course was Monday to Friday, then on the Thursday evening, Miracle of Miracles, my lost luggage was found and showed up. So on the Friday morning, I walked into this room with all these people dressed in my suit, which had finally show, uh, shown up, and they all stood up and gave this enormous round of applause. And I said, see, I can be smart uh, when I need to be. But my lost luggage was lost. And it was found again eventually, and things were put right. And we've been thinking over these last couple of weeks, last week and this week, about things that are lost. We've titled this series Lost and Found, and we've been thinking about things that were lost. And Alex did a great job last week uh, setting up this series and beginning it with us. And I just want to encourage you, if you didn't see that last week, or you didn't get that message last week, go back and find it on YouTube or on our podcast, because it's a great message. Uh, but I've been thinking, as we've been thinking about this whole lost and found thing, I've been thinking about what does it mean to be lost? What is the definition of lost? And in here's what I found, some of the, the definitions of lost. To be no longer known, to be beyond reach, to be unable to find a way, to be not appreciated or understood, obscured or overlooked, no longer visible. And then I started thinking, and this was all getting a little bit philosophical, I was thinking, can something actually be lost if nobody realizes it's lost? Can something actually be lost if nobody is looking for it? Now, that might all be a little bit surreal for this early on a Sunday morning, I understand that. But can something actually be lost if nobody's looking for it? It's a bit like that. Do you remember that philosophical statement that if a tree falls in a forest, but there's nobody there to hear it, does it actually make any sound? Do you know that, or are we just now completely confused? So it's a little bit like that sort of philosophical kind of statement. Can something actually be lost if nobody's looking for it? And, and actually, I think if this is what lost means, this isn't just about things. Because people can be lost too. And maybe, actually, you resonate with some of these definitions of what it means to be lost. People can be lost and without direction. People can be not in the right place 
or not feel at home or feel like they're missing something. People can be without purpose or wondering about the meaning of things. And actually, as I share those things, maybe you feel that right now. Or maybe you can remember feeling like that. And back to that deep philosophical question, are people only really lost if someone is looking for them? If someone cares enough to wonder where they are and if they're okay? And by the way, as an aside, I think this is one of the reasons why we pause every year on Remembrance Sunday. What do we say when we're introducing Remembrance Sunday? We say we're remembering those who have given or have lost their lives in sacrificial service. And by remembering, we ensure that they are not lost, that they are not lost to our memory, that their sacrifice was not in vain. So that's, I think, one of the key reasons why Remembrance Sunday is so important. But if you feel lost, or if you've ever felt lost, or perhaps you might feel lost in the future, I wonder who is watching out for that? Who is watching out for you? Who would come looking for you? And maybe you're even feeling that right now. You're feeling lost and you're wondering, who's noticing? Who's searching? And actually, I think the truth is that we all resonate with this a bit. I think the truth is, as I was looking and reading through this list, we were many of us thinking, well, I've definitely felt that way. Or I am feeling that way. And we all hope, I think, when we feel these things, that somebody is noticing, that somebody has noticed, or that somebody will notice. And I think this is true, whether we would say we're Christians or not, whether we're exploring faith or whether we've been following Jesus for a long time. If you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not sure I believe all this God stuff, I'm not sure where I am with all of this, but I'm really happy to be part of this community, this family. Number one, you are so welcome. And number two, We're all in the same place this morning, whether you're exploring faith or whether you've been a Christian for a long time, we all feel lost sometimes. So please don't worry if you're new to this whole church thing. We're all experiencing the same thing this morning. And last Sunday, and indeed this Sunday, when we're looking together at what it means to be lost and to be found, we're going back to look at some of the stories that Jesus told about things that were lost. And this, this whole thing of being lost and found, was really, really important to Jesus. And we know that because of the way he spoke about it. See, from time to time, Jesus would attempt to teach people or challenge people or encourage people or inspire them by telling them a story. And he would tell them a story and he would try to connect with something that they all knew about. And again, this was whether they were religious people or not religious people. He tried to use a story that they would all understand or all empathize with, regardless of where they came from, their religious background, their social economic background, regardless of all of that, they could all connect in with that story. And these stories are often called, around churches, they're called parables. And uh, there are loads of them, and Jesus taught a whole load of them. But on one occasion, Jesus did something a bit different when he was telling these stories. He told three back to back to back, and it's the only time Jesus ever did that. He taught these three in a row. Uh, Why would he do that? Well, I want to think about you for a while. Have you ever had one of those conversations where you're trying to make a really important point to somebody and you can see from their faces that they might not be getting the whole thing? 
So you tell them again, and maybe in a slightly different way than you told them first time. I can see because I can look around. We've got some teachers here this morning, and I'm sure there are some teachers online as well. You know this, right? You're trying to teach a child something. You can see they don't get it, so you try to come up with a different way and in a different way, and you repeat it and you repeat it. And particularly if it's really important and you really want them to get it and understand it, you keep going and you keep trying to tell it in slightly different ways because this point that you're trying to get across is so important. Well, this is what Jesus is doing here because this point is so important to him that he wanted to tell it and tell it and tell it again. And the other thing to know before we get into one of these stories, the other thing to know is Jesus was telling these stories in response to mumblings and criticisms from the religious leaders of the day. And these mumblings and criticisms were to do with how much time Jesus was spending with people who were far from God. They called them sinners. And it was all to do with how much time Jesus was spending and how much priority he was giving to people who were far from God, for people who didn't know God, and they were criticizing him for it. And Jesus was so keen to address those criticisms, so keen that people understood why he was doing what he was doing, that he teaches these parables, these stories, back to back to back. And these are stories using examples that people in his culture, in his day, would have recognized and understood really easily. They were to do with sheep and coins and sons. And everybody in Jesus' day knew about sheep because they were everywhere, and they knew about coins because that's how they had to spend their money, and they knew about sons because lots of people had sons. And there are also then, through these three different stories, these common threads. Number one, something of great value has been lost. Number two common thread, what has been lost warrants an all-out search to find it. And number three common thread was that there was a great celebration when the thing that was lost was found. So we're going to look at the third of these three stories that has to do with lost sons. Sometimes this story is called the prodigal son. We're thinking about it today in this context of the lost sons. And we're going to go to Luke's account of Jesus' life in the New Testament part of the Bible to find Jesus telling this story. And it's in chapter 15 of Luke, and I'm going to start reading at verse 11. It says this, Jesus continued, which tells us that this is the third of these stories. So Jesus is carrying on. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So we need to pause here and again just understand what's going on. So a bit like now, uh, the same was true then, that an inheritance was given when the parent died. Now in Jesus' day, it was all to do with fathers passing on to sons. And I know that's a bit different now, but it was all to do with fathers passing on to sons. So basically, but the inheritance was not passed on to the sons until the father had died. So the son is going to his father and essentially saying, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. Give me your money. But not only that, I mean, that's pretty disrespectful and pretty hurtful, right? But actually, it's not just about that. It's also about his attitude towards his father. Because in Jewish law, and Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience, so they would have known this. In Jewish law and in Jewish teaching, there was this law that said uh, this. It said, to son or wife, to brother or friend, give no power over yourself while you live. And give not your goods to another, so has, as you have to ask them Uh, ask for them back. So essentially, the law said, don't pass anything on to anybody who isn't dead. Until until you're dead. No, that's the wrong way around, isn't it? Don't pass on anything to anybody until you're dead. 
So the son was also asking the father to break the religious laws and teachings by which they were living their life. I mean, this is like hugely disrespectful and hugely hurtful. It's a horrible request. But the father does it. And also, I just want you to notice this word here, to which we are going to come back a little bit later on. We are told, so he divided his property between them, plural. So the father doesn't just give the younger son what the younger son is asking for. He divides his property between both sons, probably divided his property three ways, father and the two sons. So both sons get their share of the inheritance. Don't miss that because we're going to come back to it. Now, we go on. Uh, Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So, of course, what everybody had feared did indeed take place. He squandered everything on wild living, all the money goes, and then there's a famine, and now he's destitute. So he gets a job feeding pigs, and again, for a Jewish audience, this was like the lowest of the low, because the pigs were considered to be an unclean animal. So now he's at the lowest possible place in his life. He's at the bottom of the pile. This son is now truly lost. He's no longer known, he's obscure, he's far from home, he's beyond reach, he's unable to find any way or purpose for his life, he's overlooked, he's missing something, he's no longer visible, and to him, he feels no longer loved. And without anyone to help him or see him, he's now living a tragedy. So he reaches a decision. When he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he decides to go back home. He realizes he's behaved so appallingly. There's no way he can hope to be restored into family life. I'll just go back home and I'll ask to be a servant because even being a servant at home is better than what's going on right now. So he got up and went to his father. Now, one of the problems here is is that we may know the outcome to the story. But I just want you to imagine for a moment, you don't. I want you to imagine for a moment you're the father. I mean, all that hurt, damage, pain, everything that's happened to you from this son, what's going to happen when your son appears home? What's going to be your response? What would a dad do? What would a dad who's been so hurt, so abused by his son, the son who wished he was dead, what's he going to do? You'd think at least there would be a moment of thought, wouldn't there, about what the white way to respond to this is? This is what happens. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. His father saw him saw him. So the thing that was lost, unseen, obscured, undervalued, overlooked, was now seen. And the father was watching out for him, cared enough that his son was lost, 
to be on a search for him, wanted him to come back, had a heart full of love and compassion, ran to him, threw his arms around him. And this, again, for Jesus' audience, would have been a huge cultural surprise because in Jesus' day, fathers uh, did not initiate a conversation with sons. They waited for sons to initiate a conversation with them to show some kind of deference and respect before the father entered into the conversation. Well, here the father doesn't wait for any of that. He just dives straight in. He said, I'm not, I don't give a rip about the rules and the, the etiquettes and the social interaction. I don't care any of that because my son who was lost is now come back. He's just excited and he doesn't care about cultural norms or rules. He's just excited. The son starts his speech, which I can imagine he's been preparing all the way home. All the time he was sitting with those pigs, he's got that great speech prepared. He starts it, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father cuts him off. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the breast robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. We'll keep going. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. There is a celebration of restoration and resurrection. And that celebration awaits the son. But there was another son too, remember? There was another son. And we're going to pick up what's been going on with him. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends." But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. So now we have a classic case of sibling rivalry. The older brother asks about justice and fairness and does that thing that brothers and sisters do. And parents, you know this, right? It's not fair. It's not fair. Actually, it's also not true what he says either. You remember he says, you never even gave me so much as a goat. That's not true. Do you remember the them? The father dividing his inheritance between them? The older brother received his share. It's not true that the father never gave him anything. But the son is just so angry that he forgets in his anger what his father has done for him. And notice... Two, and I highlighted some bits here, how the brother talks to his father about the other son and how the father talks to the older brother about the younger son. It starts actually with the servant. When the servant is asked by the older brother, what's going on? He says, your brother has come home. But then when the son, that older brother is interacting with the father, he says, this son of yours, not my brother. And, and again, parents, just want to speak to you for a moment, because I don't know whether you've done this, but you've been home with the kids on your own, and one of them has misbehaved really badly. And then your other half comes home, and you say, you wouldn't believe what your daughter has done today. And suddenly they're not your daughter or your son anymore, they're the other one's son or daughter. Do you know this? I'm getting lots of nods around the room. So this is what's going on, right? 
He's saying, the, the older brother is not saying my brother. He's saying, your son, dad, has done this, that, and the other. And the father keeps trying to say to the son, your brother. Remember your brother. He's trying to remind the son that this is his brother. But the son is so cross, he refuses and instead talks about your son, not my brother. You see, this son is just as lost as the other one was. In his anger, his bitterness, his selfishness, his pride, his resentment, he's just as lost. He's not lost geographically, but he's lost in his heart, and he's lost in his relationship with his family. Let's carry on. Uh, My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours, another reminder, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He's reminding the older brother that the son, his younger brother, was lost but is now found. See, these two brothers are really interesting. One behaved appallingly, sinned against his father, was completely disrespectful, insulted and abused him, went off, squandered everything, was lost and alone. The other brother, the older brother, had in so many ways behaved impeccably, done everything right, But his heart was hard. He missed the joy of what happens when someone who is lost is found. In his anger and his bitterness, he missed what his father was doing. And in his self-centeredness, he couldn't see what was happening in front of him. He lectures his father in front of all the other guests. He refuses the father's plea to come in. And interestingly, the son who was out of the house is now in, while the older son sits outside. But once more, the father is compassionate and generous, but this time to the older, self-righteous brother. But the father is also clear. We had to celebrate. There was no choice. When restoration happens, when new life bursts out, when resurrection is occurring, it's not only good to celebrate, it's a necessity. Because to fail to celebrate is to fail to meet generosity with gratitude. So here's the question for us today. Which son do you resonate with? Which son do you resonate with? Jesus was painting a picture in these stories of God and who God is and what God is like. And look, how God treated both sons. He's searching for the younger son, the one who is lost and far away. He's searching for him, looking out for him, and then welcomes him with arms open wide. If you resonate with that younger son, if you wonder if you are really known, or you feel beyond reach, or unable to find a way, or unable to find purpose or meaning for your life, if you feel underappreciated, or overlooked, obscured, or not valued, or no longer visible to the world, know this. Jesus is saying, God is looking. He is searching, and he is waiting with arms open wide for you. Someone is looking for you. You are seen You are known. You are missed. To the one who hasn't yet experienced or encountered God and his love, and God's mercy and grace and Father heart, God is looking and waiting for you. 
and simply asks you to meet him as he stretches our arms open wide. He's lost you, and he longs for you to be found. And he's made a way for that to happen through the life, death, and resurrection of the one who told these stories. Now to the older son, and if you resonate with the older son, the older brother, the older son who is self-centered and not understanding, for him there is compassion and gentleness, but there is also a clear and stark challenge. And it's a clear and stark challenge for those of us who resonate more with the older brother. He says, we had to celebrate We had to. You have to understand that the most important thing is that the lost is found. The older son who knew his father, who loved him, but was missing the point. And if you are a Jesus follower, if you have turned back to God and run into his welcoming arms, that is fantastic. But you, like me, have from time to time acted like the older brother, and become self-centered and self-absorbed by what I or we want from God. We've become self-absorbed by the things we think we want from Jesus, and we've stopped seeing the priority of the lost and how important they are to God. I love these stories that Jesus told, but I do think there's a problem with them. And I think the problem is that we think we know them. And certainly if you've been around church at all, and if you were in Sunday school as a child, you've heard these stories a lot, and you think you know them, we think we know them, and we see them through the lens so often of children in almost childish ways, or uh, we remember the songs we sung about them in Sunday school, or or we uh, see them as rather twee and lovely stories. And even if you weren't a church person, you didn't grow up in church, you probably heard these stories in school assemblies in primary school or um, on TV or in some way, shape or form, and we think we know them. But the reality is, and Alex and I have both been commenting about this over the last few weeks as we've prepared for this series, they've got under our skin again. And they are profound and hugely challenging, particularly to Christians and church people. If you're not a Christian and not a church person, I hope they're deeply encouraging to you that there is a Heavenly Father who reaches out to welcome you. But if you're a Christian and a church person, I hope they're deeply encouraging, but they're also really challenging because they point out really directly that people who are lost, who feel unseen, who don't know that there is a God who is looking for them, they are God's absolute top priority and they should be ours too. Remember, Jesus was telling these stories in response to criticism from religious people that he was spending too much time and giving too much of his priority to those who were lost. And in response to that, this was so important to Jesus that he told these parables back to back to back. Such was the strength of the point he was trying to make. It's like, I really, really want you to get this. And on another occasion, which I think I'm speaking about in a couple of weeks' time, Jesus was challenged on exactly the same thing. This same criticism was fired at Jesus, and he responded, and he said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. That is my absolute priority and mission. That was his priority, his heart, his mission, his agenda, 
And it should be ours too if we call ourselves followers of Jesus. You know, we're trying to follow Jesus and his example in our church. You don't have to be around ABC, I don't think, too long before you hear us talk about our heart and our passion to be a church that prioritizes people who don't yet know God or haven't experienced the love of God. We're trying to be a church that reaches out to the lost, to the unseen, to those far from God. And sometimes we get criticized for that in the way that Jesus was criticized. And sometimes, those of us who have been around church for a while, we find that prioritization difficult because we know what we like. And making sacrifices for the sake of those who are lost can sometimes be a huge challenge to us. And honestly, sometimes it's hard to hold the course. And we all become a bit like the older brother in stamping our feet. It's not fair. Do things my way, for me. But we need to remember this, when people criticize, it's what they criticize Jesus for. And that's okay with me. And when the sacrifices seem too hard, we need to remember that it was Jesus' passion for the lost that led him to the sacrifice of the cross and his death. And when it's hard to hold the course and hard to stay on mission, we remember it was the mission of Jesus and giving our lives to follow him on his mission is quite simply the very best thing we can do. So which of the brothers do you resonate with? Probably truth is we all resonate with both of them a bit. But maybe you're like the younger brother and you feel lost or unseen or obscure or overlooked. Know this. There is a heavenly father waiting with arms open wide for you. And maybe you resonate with the older brother. And if we're really honest, we resonate with his self-centeredness and hardness of heart sometimes. Well, we need to recognize we too have the same generous and compassionate father who is quick to forgive, but also quick to challenge and to inspire us to keep the lost as our top priority. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to hear again today, or maybe hear for the first time today, that you are on the lookout for us, that we can be known to you, that when we feel lost, or overlooked, or undervalued, or unappreciated, you're there, looking out for us, watching, waiting, waiting to fling arms around us. Lord God, I pray for any of us here, or who are online today, who are just feeling lost, but who have been inspired by today to want to turn towards you. Help us to have the courage to do that, to begin to take that step. And we thank you that you are ready to receive us with arms open wide. And Lord, I pray too for those of us who are maybe resonating a bit more with the older brother today. Lord, we thank you that you are gracious and compassionate. And Lord God, I pray, help us, challenge us, inspire us with a passion to reach out with your love to those who are lost.